Welcome to the Health and Biz Bites podcast. I'm your host, Mike Beverly. Thanks for tuning in today. This podcast is dedicated to individuals and professionals who desire to learn more about the subject and business aspects of non-traditional technologies and approaches to better health and vitality. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Health and Biz Bites. Today, I have a special friend that I've grown to know and admire, Terry Tucker. Terry Tucker is a motivational speaker, author, and international podcast guest on the topics of motivation, mindset, and self-development. He has a business administration degree from the Citadel, where he played NCAA Division I college basketball, and a master's degree from Boston University. In his professional career, Terry has been a marketing executive, a hospital administrator, a SWAT team hostage negotiator, a high school basketball coach, a business owner, a motivational speaker, and for the past 11 years, a cancer warrior, which has resulted in the amputation of his foot in 2018 and his leg in 2020. He is the author of the book, Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. Terry has also been featured in Authority, Thrive Global, and Human Capital Leadership Magazines. And Terry, as I've gotten to know you, that resume speaks just a short snippet of who the real Terry Tucker is, in my view. So Terry, welcome to the show. Well, Mike, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. Well, it's my pleasure. And as you and I discussed prior to today's recording, you are an inspiration. You're a light in my life, and you will be to our listeners, I know. And one of the things that uh, fascinated me early on in our conversations were we were uh, in South Carolina, I think at different times, but uh, I was at the University of South Carolina, and you were at the Citadel. So let's back and let's start our conversation there. How how did that all take place, and how did you get recruited to come to the Citadel? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Chicago. I am I am the oldest of three boys. You you can't tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall, and I I got a basketball scholarship uh, to the Citadel. I had originally accepted a, a scholarship to play at the University of Toledo in the in the Mid American Conference which was close enough to Chicago that my family could come and see me and things like that. But they were, you know, I, I was a kid and, and, you know, and and I certainly look at, especially youth today, you know, going to college, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I didn't either. You know, I, I wasn't somebody that knew exactly what I was going to do. And so I knew I wanted to play basketball and that was really my whole focus. And I was a good student, but, but I wasn't, you know, a, a straight A student by any means. And so I had this opportunity to play at the Citadel. I had accepted it. And about two weeks later, 
before the signing period for the NCAA, they called me and said, eh, we're not sure we've got this scholarship. We'll let you know. And about a week later, they called back and said, yeah, we got a scholarship for you. And I said, sure, great. I'll, I'll come and play for you. And it was my father who basically kind of pulled me aside and said, you know, think about this. Do you really want to play for somebody who offers you something and then takes it away from you and then offers it to you again? Is that somebody or is that a program that has your best interest in mind? And, and like I said, Mike, I was a kid. I, I didn't understand any of that stuff. But I said, well, I don't know, Dad. Let me think about it. You know, and spent a couple nights, you know, sort of tossing and turning and said, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I don't want to. And and I, I was, you know, I think God works in mysterious ways. And I, I think I was supposed to go to the Citadel. I really, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to play for Les Robinson, who was an incredibly great coach. Um, the Citadel was really a tough experience because it was military in addition to having to deal with basketball and the academic part of, of college. But it, it was... It was a great opportunity that I would have missed had I just said, oh, sure, Toledo, I'm going to go play for you and, you know, not think of any of the consequences of what they had had offered me and then taken away. So I, I, I really kind of got there by fluke, but I really think it was more divine intervention than it was anything I had to do with it. Well, that's that's an incredible story. And uh, I, I'm I'm sure that that had to put some trepidation in your dad's heart about what they were going to do to his son there. Cause that's that, that activity and that behavior in, in my view was a little suspect, but obviously, you know, you knew and, and God had the plan for you to be there. So that's, uh, that's amazing. And I know you, you had shared with me, you got to play against Michael Jordan. Is that right? Tell us a little bit about that. I did my, my senior year, uh, we played what was called the North-South doubleheader, which it was sort of, you know, sort of stacked against us. And, and, and North being North Carolina, South being South Carolina. And we played in the Charlotte Coliseum, you know, big, big venue, big event for, for us. And they took two teams from North Carolina, which was North Carolina and North Carolina State, and two teams from South Carolina, which was the Citadel, my school, and Furman University. And we played around Robin. So Friday night, we played... North Carolina and Michael Jordan. It was Michael Jordan's freshman year, uh, my senior year. It was 1982. And the, the interesting about, thing about that is that later that year, later that basketball season, North Carolina would go on to win the national championship. And then on Saturday night, we played North Carolina State. And the funny thing about that was the following year in 1983, North Carolina State would go on to win the national championship. So in the course of one weekend, I not only got to play against probably the best basketball player of all times, Michael Jordan, but I also got to play against the two national championship teams. And kind of a, a funny story, you know, fast forward, I don't know, 20 years, 22 years, whatever. My brother, uh, my youngest brother, is a basketball coach at Loyola Academy in Chicago and actually coached Michael Jordan's two sons. And he tells the story, he said, one day I was at practice and it's toward the end of practice and I'm teaching a drill to the players and I look up and nobody's paying attention to me at all. And he said, so I looked where the kids were looking and, and it was over at the door. And Michael Jordan had come into the gym as a dad to pick his kids up after basketball practice. 
But the the players were so enamored with him that they couldn't concentrate on what my brother was saying. So my brother looked at him and said, hey, Michael, you're a little bit of a distraction. Would you mind stepping out in the hall until practice is over so I can finish? And Jordan and his wife were incredibly gracious people. And he said, sure, coach, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, to you know, slow practice down for you. I'll be out in the hall until practice was over. And my brother used to always say that I'm probably the only coach in the history of basketball that's ever kicked Michael Jordan out of practice. So it's kind of an interesting, interesting event. Wow. what That's, that is certainly a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that. And, sure. and I, you know, and being from Chicago, I assume you're a big Chicago Bulls fan. Is that right? I am. I, you know, I, I mean, haven't played against Jordan and then um, Horace Grant, who was on those Bulls teams, you know, that won all those championships also played at Clemson. So I got to play against Horace Grant as well in college. Uh, so yeah, I had a, had a great opportunity to, to play against a lot of guys that went on to play professional basketball. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. And we became big fans here in Orlando of Horace Grant because he played for the Orlando Magic sure. yeah. during the times with Shaquille O'Neal when we were making some runs yep. in the playoffs and uh, ended up in the finals one year and, that didn't go so well for us <laughs> against Houston, who beat us for four zip in the in the playoffs or the finals, actually. So uh so that that's that's really interesting. But uh, but Terry, now I know you you had a series of uh professional accomplishments, you know, with your career. Um and that that uh I'm sure had to be rewarding. It, it was. I, you know, if you kind of look at my resume, it sort of looks like, you know, a Super Bowl went off in the room. You know, it's bouncing all over the place and that. And I, I there, there really is kind of a, a backstory to, to, to what my resume looks like. So my first two jobs out of college were, were in the business world. And then I made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And the backstory on all that is my grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So was an officer in Chicago during prohibition when alcohol was outlawed in the United States during the Great Depression in the late 1920s, early 1930s. And when the gangs, you know, Al Capone and those, those folks were shooting up the town. And he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It was not a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle, taking a homicide suspect back to the lockup. But my dad, who was an infant at the time when his father was shot, remembered the stories that my grandmother told of that knock on the door of Mrs. Tucker, grab your son, come with us, your husband's been shot. So when I expressed an interest in sort of following in my grandfather's footsteps, my dad was absolutely not. You're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to get out, get a great job, get married, have 2.4 kids and live happily ever after. But that's what my dad wanted me to do. And when I graduated from college, my grandmother was living with us. She was dying of lymph cancer. And in the bedroom next to her, my father was dying of breast cancer. And so I had a choice. I could have said, sorry, dad, you know, I, you and mom have done everything for my brothers and I, but I'm going to go off and blaze my own trail. Or out of love and respect for you, I will do what you want me to do, which is to go into business. So if you understand the backstory, my resume makes a little more sense. So I spent the, my first two jobs were in business because that's what my dad wanted me to do. And I sort of joke, I did what every good son did, waited till my father passed away. And then I followed my own dreams and going into law enforcement. So 
I was a 37-year-old rookie police officer, which meant I took a whole lot more Tylenol in the police academy than, than the younger counterparts that I was there with. Wow, so. wow. Well, that's that that is an interesting story. And uh and it it's it's interesting how ultimately that inner driver dream most times uh wins out in the end. Like you had had a dream of doing that, even though your father was vehemently opposed. Goodness gracious, you kept it, that dream burning alive. So, so that's that's really amazing, and it's admirable that you wanted to serve that way uh, to our society. So that's that's wonderful. Thank you for that. But uh, when when did the challenge uh, occur? Uh, first time you recognized or was told that you're dealing with this cancer challenge. It was actually 2012. I was a, we were living in Texas at the time and I was a girls high school basketball coach and I had a, had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot right below my third toe. And initially I didn't think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But after a few weeks of it not healing, I made an appointment and went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a cyst in there and I can cut it out. And, and he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, he sent it off to pathology to have it examined. And two weeks later, I received a call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having explaining to me what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming. Until finally, he just laid it out for me. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen the form of cancer that you have. You have an incredibly rare form of melanoma, which most people think of as too much exposure to the sun, and it affects the melon, the pigment in our skin. He said, this has nothing to do with sun exposure. This is a rare form that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. And because I had this incredibly rare form, he recommended I go to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, and that started my 11-year odyssey through this disease. Wow, wow. And, uh, you know, like you said, you were frightened about it all. And uh, how how was your family reacting as they were learning more and more of uh, the severity of this? Yeah, I mean... You know, I think when you you initially sort of get hit, you know, right between the eyes with this thing, with this incredible life changing event. I mean, you know, I was just like everybody else. I was a husband. I was a father. I was, I, you know, I had a job and all that. And all of a sudden, your your life has changed. And I and I had not worked in eleven years because of this disease. And you know, my family was affected the same way. But I have I have an incredibly strong wife uh, and and a very supporting, loving daughter. And I, I remember when I when I had my my leg amputated, my doctor, I, I was eight years into this fight. My doctor wanted to put me on chemotherapy. And I looked at him and I said, is it going to save my life? And he's like, yeah, probably not, but it might buy you some more time. And I said, well, if the outcome is going to be the same, if I'm going to die anyway, I'm not sure I want to go through all that ugliness. I'd rather just have whatever time I have left be quality time. But I'll go home and talk to my family about it. And it's a funny story, but it really did happen this way. 
And so I go home and I, and I start to tell my wife and daughter about what the doctor wants to do. And my daughter's immediately, all right, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. You know, it's not like we got a board here or something <laughs> like that, you know? So we end up we end up sitting around the kitchen table and individually talking about how we all feel about me having chemotherapy. And then when we're done, my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? And my wife and daughter raised their hand. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I getting outvoted for something that I don't want to do? But I remembered back when I was in the police academy and our defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people we love the most to class. And as we were learning techniques to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So I ended up taking chemotherapy, not because I wanted to, but because my wife and daughter wanted me to do that. And in hindsight, it was the right thing to do. It was a bridge that got me to the clinical trial drug that I've been on now for the last two and a half years. So, you know, my family has been incredibly supportive. I, I always say I, I'd be dead if it hadn't been for them because they've noticed things that that I haven't been able to see, you know, as and said, oh, we need to get you to the hospital, the emergency room or whatever. So very supportive family, very lucky to have them in my life. Well, that is a true blessing. And I feel the same way, you know, with, with my wife and uh, she's so wise and so instructive for me to, because she wants the best for me. And that's, that's, that's very powerful. But uh, one of the things that you and I discussed is that, um, you know, if, folks, if you could see Terry, we were doing this video, you'd see he's the healthiest looking guy, you know, looks like he's a world-class athlete. And I'm sure he probably has an exercise regimen being a former athlete. Is that right? I, I do. I, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly limited having one leg and, and things that I can't do, you know, balance and stuff like that. But yes, I, I do try to exercise uh, certainly on the weeks when I'm not in, in treatment. That's wonderful. What an inspiration. But one of the, one of the things Terry and I discussed is that uh, why he's in such an inspiration to me is because of his positive attitude and his upbeat demeanor, but also his faith. And Terry, what would you would you would you contribute a lot of where you're at today and the quality of life you have to that? I, I would, Mike. I I really would because I I don't. You know, it, it, it's interesting when I you know I, I've seen this and, you, and you've probably seen this in your life where you know people will start down the road to to a goal or, or something like that and and they they get blocked an impediment gets in their way something stops them and they can't get over it around it or through it and so they quit and and they give up but we just don't give up we got to blame somebody and. You know, we we don't, very few people take personal responsibility for their own success and happiness. And so when I got cancer, people were like, well, who do you blame? And I'm like, well, what do you mean, who do I blame? So, well, you must blame somebody. You you got this terrible disease. I said, no, I don't, I don't blame anybody. And then when they find out I have a faith life, they're like, well, you must blame God. And I sort of joke with them. I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, Terry Tucker, cancer today. You know, I don't I don't think that at all. But what God had, excuse me, has done for me is given me the courage to go forward. When I was initially um, diagnosed with melanoma, 
it was a death sentence. They they had no nothing to do other than surgery to try to cut it out. There were no drugs or or therapies to give me. So they put me on this drug called interferon to help keep the disease from coming back. The side effects of the interferon were that I had severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And as I said, that was not a cure. That was as my oncologist used to say, we're kicking the can down the road and trying to buy you more time. But Mike, during that five-year period, I was so sick of being sick that I literally prayed to God to die. I'm like, look, you know, I, I kind of felt like there's a difference between living and not dying. And I was in the not dying phase. I didn't feel that I was contributing anything. You know, I was just taking from my family, taking from, you know, I, I wasn't doing it. I mean, sometimes winning the day was literally getting out of bed and making it to the couch where I would spend the day until I would go back to bed. So I prayed to God. I'm like, look, this isn't living. Just take me out of this. Be, be, you know, be done with this. But he didn't. And, and what he did give me was the courage to go on. And, and I'll, I'll end with this. When I, when I had my leg amputated, I also found out I had tumors in my lungs, which I'm still being treated for. But about eight months later, after, after I had my leg amputated, my doctor showed me my CAT scan. And I have no medical background. I don't know how to read a CAT scan, but you know, you can kind of look at it and say, boy, that doesn't look like it belongs there. And so I had these big tumors in my lungs and I had fluid all around the pleural spaces on the outer part of my lungs. And I remember looking at my oncologist and saying, how was I alive? And he kind of got this grin on his face and sort of shook his head. And he said, I don't know, because you shouldn't have been. Which said to me that God was not done with me yet. You know, when I die, where I die, how I die, I kind of look at it way above my pay grade. Don't spend a lot of time worrying about the dying part. Spend more time worrying about the living part. Amen. Wow, Terry, you are such an inspiration. And I know our listeners are going to be moved by what you've been through and the fact that you put it all in God's hands and had the faith to carry on. So, uh, so what what other uh, advice would you give people? I mean, I know people, I've got, for example, I've got a friend that when I call him up, I say, how you doing? He says, all right. You know, and it's like, a, uh, you know, we were talking about, you mentioned someone you knew that was in this clinical trial you're on, you called her Debbie Downer. Well, he's, he's Donnie Downer, you know, <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, he and I are approximately the same age. He's retired. And with nothing, you know, when I talk to him about what are you doing next? And it's all about just, you know, he deserves to sit around and relax and watch TV. And I've already told him that's a big time prescription for an early grade, but I'm, I'm not sure he's listening to me. But uh, what, what advice would you give the average person that just going through some daily challenges uh, or, you know, we all have ups and downs and there's things goes on week in and week out or day in and day out that we go, oh, okay, you know, I can react to that. I can have a bad mood for the rest of the day or whatever. But what would, what advice would you give the average person that's not, you know, lost their leg due to cancer or, or been through what you've been through? What advice would you give the average person that might be listening to the podcast today? Sure. that That's a really good question. And I'll, I'll give you 
two quick stories. The, the, the first one is, a, and, and you're right. I mean, I'm a human being. I don't want anybody listening to us to think that I don't have bad days. I do. I mean, I get down, I cry, feel sorry for myself. I absolutely have those days. But what I found is that the way we seem to be raised, certainly in the West here, is that we seem to be to think that we're born empty. And that when we finally get into life, we get out of school and, you know, whatever that is, you know, high school, college, whatever, professional grade school, whatever, and get into life, that our job is to then fill our empty self up. You know, I've got to have a great job. I've got to live in a nice house. I've got to have a great marriage. I've got to have great kids. I've got to be educated. All this stuff. We get, we, we got to take all this stuff in because it'll fill us up. It'll make us better. And what I found is it's just the opposite. We're not born empty. We're born full. And, and the way to make yourself feel good, the way to all, you know, to make yourself get out of that sort of the, the Debbie Downer, the Downy Downer part of life is not to not look at it like, what can I get? But what can I give? That our job should be to empty ourselves out, you know, for the betterment, certainly of ourselves, but of our family, of our friends, of our community, of our God. Because like you, I believe everything we need to be successful is already inside of us. We just need to find it and pull it out and use it. So I would that would be the first story. The second story is I had a nurse recently ask me what it was like to have my foot amputated and to have my leg amputated. And I told her it, it, it has not been easy. You know, when you're when you're six foot eight and you're learning how to walk again, falling is not an option because you get hurt when you fall from this height. So, you know, I, I'm very careful on, on how I learned that. But what I told her was, cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are, Mike. That's who everybody who's listening to us really is. And I'm not telling you, you know, not to spend time, you know, eating right and going to the gym and getting enough rest and reducing your stress and all that stuff. I'm not telling you not to do that. You should absolutely do that. But what I am suggesting is that maybe you spend a little more time every day working on who you really are. This body's going to go away at some point in time, but your heart, your mind, and your soul, they're eternal. They're going to live on. So spend some time every day working on those and see how much better your life is. Great advice. And it sounds like that might be uh, a little reminder of your book, Terry, Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And where, where would people find your book, uh, And which I'm going to highly recommend, and I'm going to order it right now as soon as we finish this episode this recording. Yeah, Sustainable Excellence is available anywhere you can get a book online. You can get it through Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, Apple iBooks, wherever wherever you get, go online, search for the title of my name, you'll, you'll find it. Uh, it, it. It's all over the place right now. Well, that's wonderful. Well, I'm in a, a leadership role and I'm also connected with some people in leadership with our uh, our business firm. And I'm going to highly recommend they speak to you about speaking at uh, our uh, upcoming convention in September in Dallas. I know they're planning that now, so but I'm going to recommend that Terry Tucker be uh, someone who could give a motivational talk at that event. So, uh, so that'll be for me, but how would people reach out to you if they'd like to 
possibly hire you as a speaker or, you know, have you on their podcast? How would they get in touch with you, Terry? Well, I, I have a blog. It's called Motivational Check. It's motivationalcheck.com. Uh, every day I put up a thought for the day with that thought usually comes a question about how maybe you could apply that thought into your life. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message. I have recommendations for books to read, videos to watch, and you can also leave me a message. And that's all at motivationalcheck.com. So folks, reach out to Terry at motivationalcheck.com. And I highly recommend you order the book, Sustainable Excellence, and and hear more of his story and more lessons of life and how to approach it from a positive, upbeat way. And if you'd like to reach out to me to learn more about my mission of educating people on alternative health and wellness, you can go to www.mikebeverly.life. That's www.mikebeverly.life. And while there, read a blog or two, and then you can click the podcast tab to listen to this episode that features our guest, Terry Tucker, and other guests as well that we've had on the, the podcast now for almost a year. So Terry, thanks again for uh, popping on and uh, sharing your insights, your life, your story. It will be inspirational, I'm sure, to everyone that takes the time to listen to it. So any final thoughts before we sign off today? Um, let me let me just end with one story, if I may. I, I've always been a, a big fan of Westerns growing up when I was when I was young, my mom and dad used to let me stay up late and watch, you know, Gunsmoke and Bonanza and Wild Wild West was always my favorite. 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. You may have seen it. It was a huge blockbuster. It starred Val Kilmer as a man by the name of John Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not just made up characters for the movie. And Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but pretty much Doc Holliday was a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt Earp, his entire adult life had been some form of a lawman. So these two men from entirely opposite backgrounds somehow come together and form this very close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc Holliday is dying at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from where I live. The real Doc Holliday died at that sanitarium and he's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money, he has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc and the two men pass the time that way. And in this almost last scene in the movie, the two men are talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, when I was younger, I was in love with my cousin, but she joined a convent over the affair but she's all that I ever wanted. And then he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of nonchalantly says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal, there's just life. And get on with living years. Mike, you and I know people that are probably sitting out there that are like, well, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. Or when that occurs, I'll have a successful life. Or when this happens, I'll have a significant life. What I'd like to leave your listeners with is this. Don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there. Use your unique gifts and talents. Find your purpose and live that purpose. Because if you do, at the end of your life, I'm going to promise you two things. 
Number one, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And number two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. What valuable insight and what valuable information. Thank you so much, Terry Tucker and everyone. Thanks for listening to the Health and Biz Bites and look forward to having you on a future episode or listening in the future. Take care. Hey, everyone, and thank you so much again for checking out today's episode. And if you're listening through iTunes, Spotify, wherever you happen to be listening, please subscribe. Leave a five-star rating and review if you choose to do so. And I'm grateful for you and that you're spending this time with me. Have a wonderful rest of your day.